Streisand's favorite fruit was a slapple. This week, a sitting city councilor will continue to rest his posterior in City Hall after losing the UCP nomination in Edmonton South. Uh, he might struggle to get there because of all the traffic snarls from the Grey Cup Festival. We'll also talk about an Edmonton MP suing a student newspaper, very carefully, and some questionable public engagement from a city that has won international awards for public engagement. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 16. Uh, let's just jump right into the rapid-fire segment, everyone's crowd favorite. The Duchess Bake Shop built a 1 to 100 scale replica of the Hogwarts Castle out of gingerbread and sugar. It sure sounds to me like it would be some fantastic eats the meal times we eat the walls. In sports ball news, the Oilers fired Todd McClellan and hired a new coach in a move secretly orchestrated by the EEDC. The current plan for economic development in Edmonton is to have the Oilers make the playoffs. That's innovation. The failed plebiscite in Calgary has left at least one city councillor skeptical about the potential benefits of Edmonton hosting the World Cup in 2026. Among the concerns were cost and how much FIFA would be making and taking out of Edmonton. While some suggested that we should host an event from a less corrupt sporting organization, they were collectively stumped to actually come up with an example of one that would be ethically agreeable. Speaking municipally as a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, this week we're going to tell you about Let's Do Coffee. It's a podcast produced by Nate's Maji Center for New Venture and Student Entrepreneurship. The podcast features interviews with student entrepreneurs as well as Nate alumni. The most recent episode is episode three, and it features local interior designer Candace Wolf. You can check that episode out and all the show notes at letsdocoffee.libsyn.com. So, Mac, uh, you got here on time crazily uh you mentioned you were coming here from the gray cup festival and i don't understand how you could have gone through that horrible traffic nightmare and then got into my house on time tell me about that it was amazing so we're recording this on wednesday night tonight is the launch of the gray cup festival um they had uh, a kickoff right at the ckua building the old alberta hotel building and there wasn't really all that much traffic Uh, i i live downtown i work downtown i walk downtown all the time I've not seen these crazy traffic snarls that people keep complaining about. There are a lot of streets on Jasper Avenue closed, basically from 99th Street in front of what was the Courtyard Marriott uh, down to almost to the Hyatt Hotel, actually, or what used to be the Hyatt Hotel uh, in the quarters. And there's some, you know, some of the streets on 97th is closed a little bit, which we'll talk about as well. Uh, The overwhelming traffic that I saw were the Nissan Titan trucks. Like, honestly, there were probably 20 Nissan Titan trucks just parked randomly around the festival grounds. And I get that they're the sponsor, but there were a lot of trucks, not just parked. They had scaffolding with trucks like in the air on top of the scaffolding. It was something else. I mean, it's Edmonton. Is trucks really that out of place? Maybe not. We're talking about some of the problems with the Grey Cup Festival, and we'll get to the sarcastic dealing with the traffic snarls later, but there were some legitimate concerns with the Grey Cup Festival. Right. So one of the areas that's closed is part of 97th Street, uh, right across from Canada Place. And uh, just up from Jasper Avenue there on 97th is uh, a little cafe called Nook Cafe. And they've been in the news this week uh, complaining a little bit about how uh, because of the setup that started actually quite a long time ago for the festival grounds, um, they've had to deal with, you know, basically no access, even affecting deliveries that have come into the cafe. Uh, And the co-owner told Global News that she's already seen a 20% decrease in sales um, since they closed the road 
episodes last Monday. Well, and it's Nook Cafe, and apparently there's a Tim Hortons truck parked directly in front of her business, which, go figure, in Edmonton might uh, reduce some of your business. So I didn't see it right in front. There was definitely a Tim Hortons truck parked just around the corner, and they were handing out free coffee and hot chocolate tonight. Oh, it's free. It's completely free. Um, This was a problem the last time we hosted the Grey Cup, and we did the Grey Cup Festival downtown. At that time, um, food trucks were still pretty new. There was only a couple, and they had some local food vendors that had set up tents, and they were trying to sell stuff at the same time as these big conglomerates uh, were out giving away free ice cream and free coffee. Like, how can you support local businesses when, you know, these folks that aren't from Edmonton come in and just give away everything for free. Well, and we mentioned in the rapid fire, there was, you know, when you host a sporting event like FIFA or the Grey Cup, the idea is it brings business to your local businesses and really raises everyone up. If Tim Hortons just parks a truck and gives away free coffee, how exactly is that helping our local business? And what ROI are we truly seeing from this event? Right. So the organizers of the Grey Cup Festival, so uh, Dwayne Vieno, who's the ED, the executive director of the festival, says they're hoping to pump out 80 to 100 million in economic activity. This is always, I feel like, the number that gets brought up whenever we host IndyCar or any of these types of things. It's like, oh, yeah, 80 or 90 million bucks in economic activity. I do know from running What the Truck, Food Truck Festival, that there is definitely a spillover effect, right? People come down to the event, come down to the grounds. They don't want to wait in the lines for the free coffee or whatever it is. And so they will go to some of the uh, surrounding businesses. So I do agree that there's some spillover, but it is pretty hard when it's completely free and it's Tim Hortons and like they're literally just pumping them out the window. Right. Um, The other thing that I've seen some people talking about with Nook Cafe is, you know, they're one of the downtown businesses that is actually quite welcoming to pretty much anyone that comes in there and they'll give free coffee to people who can't afford to pay. And so it's really disappointing to see a business like that, that does really great things for the community, you know, suffer at the hands of a, of a large multinational. Um, but I do think it is something that we should kind of say, ah, oh, remains to be seen because if the festival is successful and they are able to bring a lot of people downtown, there could be some good spillover. Yeah. And we don't know that the festival in how it's closed and how it's set up will remain an impediment for the entire Grey Cup. Yeah, tonight they were still setting things up. It was very clear and there was police tape and pylons in front of the Nick Cafe. So I'd be pretty pissed if it was what it looked like tonight, but I'm not sure that's what it'll look like for the whole five or six days, right? So I think we need to go back and, and check it out. But, you know, certainly there's um, something to think about when we are closing streets. We've talked about this on the show before. We should be allowed to close streets and not have them be for cars. But when we do that, there's other considerations to make too. Well, and that brings us to the other half of this discussion, which I saw the CBC headline for this and I just... I sighed and was a little bit angry, but the CBZ headline was, quote, Grey Cup Festival snarls traffic for rush hour commuters in Edmonton. Um, An alternative headline might be, Edmonton uses space for things. Um, (laughs) I love it. Like that. And we have this sort of discussion every time we have any event. It's always framed not of what are we doing? What are the benefits of we're doing? Is this thing unique? It's People going home during rush hour had a delay because there was something in the way. Like we're trying to bring vibrancy to our downtown, but we listen to the people that are complaining about trying to get out of downtown. Exactly. And like I went downtown to watch another film and again, not a movie review show. Go to another podcast. (laughs) But it was 6 p.m. and I couldn't buy anything because everything was closed. And like, you know, there's huge streets that I 
promptly jaywalked across because there were no cars coming in any direction. So our downtown, it's better with Rogers Place and with the Arena District and Ice District, but it still needs vibrancy, especially at night. This is doing that. So it's a little disheartening to see the media cover this and to see the media cover this with no pushback from anyone else. Council Council was on break this week. Right. They had plenty of time to tweet, actually, it's good to have festivals, but you didn't really see that from anyone. And the festival organizers, I'm sure, aren't really wanting to engage in the negative stuff. They want to be able to wait till the festival is done and say, look at all the economic activity we brought. Look at all the people that were downtown. And I will say there's a lot of cool stuff at the festival. So if you are going to go down and check it out, it's a nice way to walk along Jasper Avenue, a place you don't usually get to enjoy as a pedestrian. Yeah, go Go enjoy it and enjoy it as a pedestrian, how it's meant to be, instead of reading articles complaining about traffic. And speaking of garbage, we're going back to garbage a little bit. We talked about this a lot months ago. Oh, time flies. But we had some updates on the garbage plan. Right. So the utilities, budget, uh, waste management, one of the things that's obviously council will be considering during their budget discussions. The news here really is that um, the proposed increase is 2.5% per year over four years. So that translates into more money from all of us to do garbage. And basically the city says... Okay, so more money from all of us, but not a lot of money. Not a ton. Because this isn't like a 2.5 budget increase. This is a 2.5% increase on your waste collection bill from EPCOR. So it translates to a buck or two a month. I think... The alarmist number in the Global News article was, by the end, $60 per year uh, once all these increases are manifested. Right. The article says by the time the fourth year rolls by, that would be close to $60 annually for single-family homes, essentially. This gets us quite a lot, actually. We're going to retrofit all of our uh, old waste collection machines to be able to pick up plastic bins that are sortable which will provide to every house in edmonton you know the black and green bins to sort organics and and recyclables yeah Yeah. we're going to replace the uh, composter that doesn't have a roof that functions so that's a good news story and honestly for you know 60 bucks a person a year in four years i think that's a pretty good value for dollar and it is meant to get us closer to you know, that goal of diverting more waste from landfill. And if this is what it actually is going to take, instead of just pretending that we're going to hit that 90% target, then I think people are going to support that. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of us have boasted, I know I have boasted about Edmonton's waste management program. You guys, you're doing some cheesy recycling here. I put everything in a blue bag and I achieve 90% diversion. Turns out I was lying. So, um, Sorry. It says 2.5% will generate an extra $5 million in revenue for each of those years. It's on top of the $189 million in revenue that they already get. So it's not, as you say, a huge amount, but it will help. The other interesting part of this discussion that came up was, this is something that I didn't know, apparently half of our garbage collection is privatized right now. Yeah, I think I remember hearing this at some point that half the city is basically done by the city of Edmonton and half the city is done by private contractors. Yeah, which it was really interesting. So part of this discussion was... Should we privatize the whole thing? And right. When I heard that question, I'm like, well, no, that's stupid. No, we shouldn't privatize it because I was under the impression it was just a public service. But, you know, I read more about this. So apparently the city of Edmonton, we've basically hedged our bets. So, you know, sometimes delivering things as a public service is less expensive. Sometimes privatizing it can reduce costs because of bureaucracy. So what the city of Edmonton done is said, look, we're going to go half and half. And if one side ever significantly outpaces the other, we'll... We'll know and we can 
react to that. And basically over the past several years, they've basically been comparable the whole time. Now, some people are arguing that since the public service isn't cheaper, we should privatize the whole thing because you're supposed to get efficiencies by public service. I think that's a ridiculous argument and we should keep it the way it is. But unless there's a reason to change it, Councillor Henderson says the costs are pretty close um, on both sides. But Councillor Walters said the scope of the system in terms of thinking of it regionally is being reexamined. So everything's kind of open right now. So he's thinking maybe it's broader than just city of Edmonton, potentially. If you consider what we did with drainage services, we pseudo privatized that earlier in the year or last year. At some point in time, Epcor took over the yep. drainage services. So it's not like, it's not out of the question. It's not something that this council hasn't considered and will consider again. Right. We'll move on. We've got another quick update. And I think this one's a really important one. And I think we all need to tune up because this is, this is a serious issue. Crime is a problem in this city. EPS needs $6.8 million to enforce cannabis charges. And you know why? Because they released data on the charges for the first month of legalization at Edmonton. And were there thousands, hundreds? There were thousands of dollars spent per charge. In fact, million dollars spent per charge. There were six. Only three of those were criminal charges. The other three were tickets. Uh, So we had one criminal charge, possessing cannabis for the purpose of selling. They found a guy who was dealing because all the cannabis stores are closed because there's no (laughs) weed left in Canada. Somebody screwed up on ordering the amount of weed Alberta needed. Um, There was also two youth possession of cannabis greater than five grams. Okay. Kids got some pot. Um, The tickets issued were one for use of cannabis in a vehicle and two for transporting cannabis in an open container. So, yeah, again, six charges. Police asking for $7 million to enforce cannabis. None of this was violent. This was some dudes hot boxed. Right. Um, and some kids <laughs> stole their dad's pot. I I don't think this is the fear that we need to be struck into the hearts of every Edmontonian and we need to give the police the money now. But a million bucks per uh, per offense seems pretty steep. And I mean, granted, what if there are six total offenses every month for the year? And this is not even counting the millions that are in the budget for awareness about the rules for cannabis. But that's cannabis. Uh, the police, God, I hope we don't give any more money to the police at budget for cannabis. This is a ridiculous line item. The next item, um, and Mac talked to me in the pre-show, that I need to be careful on this item because uh, we don't want Taproot to go bankrupt. Um, That would be nice. (laughs) We'd love to keep bringing you this show. So I will tread carefully as I talk about the Edmonton MP who sued the Gateway, the student newspaper at the University of Alberta, for defamation this week. Uh, The MP, of course, being Carrie Diot, the Northside Edmonton MP. Um, Essentially, the Gateway, and not Taproot Edmonton or this podcast, the Gateway called Kerry Diot in so many words a racist in, in reporting about other people who had called him a racist yeah so initially Kerry Diot has sued a couple Twitter users one of them being Bashir Muhammad for Bashir went on Twitter and said this is a picture of Kerry Diot with Faith Goldie the white nationalist who ran for yeah Faith Goldie's not going to sue me Faith Goldie is a white nationalist uh Faith Goldie the white nationalist who ran for mayor of Toronto Kerdiot posed with her and then Bashir Mohammed made the allegation unproven in the court of law that that made Kerry Diot a racist. Sure. Kerry Diot sued Bashir um, and Bashir said, I'm going to defend it. 
the gateway said, hmm, this looks like a story. And as a journalism organization, we're going to report on this. And then Carrie Diot sued the gateway. And the gateway very quickly said they were reviewing the statement of claim, posted uh, an apology or something like that on their website, took down the offending words. Yeah, the gateway... Bashir, for his part, has continued posting tweets calling Carrie Diot a racist. Yeah, the gateway being a student newspaper and being run by students saw a lawsuit from a member of parliament and said, oh, geez, back off. We're not equipped to deal with this. Right. This is what's often called a slap suit, right? A slap suit or strategic lawsuit against public participation. Essentially, swinging around the law to silence free speech. No real intention to necessarily follow through potentially, but... Enough to scare. Enough to scare. Carrie Diot is suing the Gateway for $150,000 in damages. So if you're a student who eats ramen for supper, that's a scary number to see. Interestingly, the uh, Canadian University Press put out a statement on this, and they straight up called it a slap, mm. um, which I thought that was a very... Show of support for fellow university partner, yeah. And the thing that's so absurd about this is, one, it's a student newspaper. Two, um, Streisand Effect, if you look at the comments of any news article, 100% of the comments are calling Carrie Diotta racist Right, now. that's uh, what people pile on with. Yeah, and the third thing is, Kerry Diot is a journalist, or was. Like, he used to write for the Edmonton Sun. How he thought it was a good idea to sue a student newspaper for reporting on a tweet from someone else boggles my mind. Just as a human to make that decision? Right. <laughs> for a sitting member of parliament to make that decision? Completely baffling. I, I just, I don't get it. Well, like you say, it's not doing anything to help his reputation. Interestingly, Diot Mini, we're... Moving away from talking about Carrie Diot, so I can now say any aggressive thing that I want. Uh, <laughs> Mike Nickel, who has treaded in Carrie Diot's coattails for many, many a year now. Uh, Carrie Diot used to be the sitting city councillor in Ward 11 uh, when he ran for mayor and lost to Don Iveson. Mike Nickel took up his seat in Ward 11. Right. Mike Nickel, uh, he lost an election. So he wanted to get out of municipal politics, uh, doesn't like the downtown crowd or something, you can tell us about that, and wanted to move into the UCP, in the new riding of Edmonton South, right? Yeah, Edmonton South, which is the riding that Thomas Dang, the current NDP MLA, will sit and run in. He ran for the UCP nomination in Edmonton South, and he lost. I don't know about you, I was really surprised. Yeah, like who did he lose to? Surely Mike Nickel has the best name recognition in that area, I would have thought. You're saying who did he lose to? Yeah. yeah you've answered your own question. Yeah. Uh, Tunde Obasan, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, uh, I read it on Twitter. He won the election and there were some... Uh, or the nomination at least. Yeah, sorry. Yes, he won the election for the nomination contest. Right, right. Uh, but he's now going to be the UCP candidate for Edmonton South in the yet-to-be-determined 2019 provincial election. There were some troubling claims. Uh, Progress Alberta was reporting that uh, he was helped by an organization called Right Now, which is an anti-abortion religious fundamentalist pack, which, if true, would give some idea of how exactly he wins an election. A city councillor should win yeah. any sort of like small election like this. You have so much name recognition as a city councillor. And this is something to do with party politics, clearly, right? This is being driven by other forces. Yeah, and you see this not so much in Canada, but if you look at the United States, this is what happens. The primary process where you have two parties, it drives the fringes and gives them powers. To win a party primary, you want to be hard left or hard right. You right. really want to appeal to the fringes. 
But to win a general election, or in this case, a civic election or a provincial election, you want to be sort of a centrist, someone that anyone can vote for, even if they're in a different party. Right. So that sort of dichotomy between the nomination process and the actual election process leads to some really bad candidates and some weird outcomes because I think Mike Nickel would do very well in a general election. Right. I'm not so sure that someone who is already in the nomination process being attacked for being funded by religious fundamentalist PACs, I don't know if that's a candidate that's going to win a general election. Fair enough. Well, let's talk about Mike Nickel and his decision to try to get out of municipal politics. So he said he was frustrated by the city hall pool, by the metro line, and by the demolition of the Coliseum. Yeah, and then the quote he followed that up with was, maybe I'm not fit for this downtown narrative. And I would say... The only one that's calling this a downtown narrative is you, dear Mike. You mentioned uh, before the show when I talked about this that, you know, this result that Mike is going to stay on city council is probably a good thing for Edmonton. I really like what Mike Nickel has brought to city council. I think he's been asking hard questions of administration that the others on council don't seem to be willing to ask. He's constantly pushing them. If you if you listen to exec committee or something like that, he's always driving for more information and for more efficiency and that kind of thing. So I really appreciate that initiative that he's brought to city council. I don't agree with everything he's put forward or all of his decisions or anything like that, but I do think it's important to have somebody on city council who can, um, you know, be that, that counterpoint to the prevailing conversation. And Mike Nichol has brought that more often than not. Except in the past three months when he took a leave of absence to run for a different position. And that's where I start to disagree with you on this. Yeah. Um, not that he hasn't asked the questions, because you're right. There's definitely the set of Mike Nickel questions that Compared exist. to some other counselors, he's got some great questions. That is true. Um, <laughs> very true. <laughs> but the problem I see going forward is when he decided to run, it wasn't, I really believe right. provincial issues are a problem. I really believe I can do a lot more good in the province. And we've seen other city councillors do something like that. Amarjeet Sohi is a great example. He's went up to be infrastructure minister and we got LRT funding. Right. So there was clearly a progression to help the city in a different way from a different order of government. Mike Nickel, in his statements that he's running for the UCP said he's done with this downtown narrative and he can't get anything done and he can't get his agenda at City Hall. Kind of threw up his hands and said, I'm out of here. Yeah, he won an election and then promptly said, nah, I quit. I'm running for a different job, but I'm keeping this other job as a fallback. Yeah, that's a fair criticism. And I worry what we're probably going to see is him running for a federal seat uh, with the CPC in the next federal election, which also means... He's going to continue politicking from City Hall, which means we're probably not going to get the best pointed questions. But we're going to get the best political theater questions uh-huh. so that he can be seen, you know, attacking waste for his eventual CPC run. And then when he loses that uh, because apparently he can't win nominations in the city of Edmonton, uh, he's going to run for mayor again and then he'll lose. That's based solely on historical evidence while taking leaves of absence along the way. Sure. I don't know that we're going to see, and like, this is budget season. Where's Mike Nickel? He was running for a different order of government during a leave of absence. How effective is he going to be this budget season, not having read everything, not having kept up and worked with his peers? I don't know that we're going to see a lot of efficacy this budget. And this is a four-year budget. This is the big time to be involved in those discussions, putting your position forward. Well, I hope he's 
up to his task as a city councilor and will serve his constituents and the Edmontonians he's been elected to serve and will ask those questions. But these are fair points. Full disclosure, I ran for city council in Ward 11. Mike Nickel was the opponent, but I was a rounding error in Mike Nickel's vote total. So I guess it's David and Goliath, except David didn't win. We've got one last topic to talk about this week, and that's Elise Stolte has been knocking it out of the park with her columns. She wrote a column this week about, well, Edmonton failing at public engagement. Yeah, and I want to read just the beginning of her article. You should read the whole thing. But she says, Edmonton claimed the global title this year for organization of the year, best in public engagement. It didn't deserve it. (laughs) That's an aggressive claim. Uh, So, Mac, you were on the Council Initiative for Public Engagement. You had some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, Edmonton not only won the National IAP2 Award this year, the International Association for Public Participation, but it also won the International Award. And this was for the work that was done uh, for the Council Initiative on Public Engagement, which led to a new policy, um, a new procedure to try to implement that policy. There's some really, really good work. I think some really innovative work that had been done um around that file. Other cities are looking at what Edmonton has come up with around public engagement, and they're they're looking to adopt some of those things themselves. Uh, but the challenge has always been, we're really good at putting the plan together and talking about what needs to happen and the way that we should approach things, and actually implementing that, getting the culture to change in an organization with 14,000 people has been the tricky point. 14,000 so, people and a 600 million consultant budget. Right, yeah. Good point. So what she's really talking about in this article is the program and service review, which we've talked about on the show before, and the suggestion that they should save some money by closing these pools and things like that um, without, it seems, really engaging the public on that decision. Well, not a fair comment. They thoroughly engaged the public on this decision and then thoroughly disregarded all of that engagement. Sure. Let me rephrase. Without following our policy around being an open city and doing public engagement well. Yeah, so there were a couple baffling things that came out in this story. The first of which is administration seems to be doubling down on this narrative. We talked about it briefly, but this is in the context of the East Glen pool, which is one of the three pools that administration is proposing closing to save a total of $1.5 million. In East Glen's case, uh, we could save $900,000 per year operationally and $400,000 in not having to renovate the pool with maintenance. And what's our budget again? $2.82 billion? Yeah, so this is nothing in our budget. We're focusing on these peanuts, but since we're focusing, let's talk about it. One of the things that administration has doubled down on is this idea that they've done this challenge panel, they've done some engagement behind the scenes. That's all very secret. And the reports... And the information will be released after council makes a decision on the fate of the pool. It's bizarre that they they made them sign non-disclosure agreements, essentially, and then said, we're going to have this decision be made, but not give you the information to make a better decision until after. I mean, if you read all the public engagement stuff, that's what it's all about. It's about getting the right information to make a better decision. I mean, I'm conspiracy theorist. The documents that they have are just signed blank pages that they can fill in after council made a decision to say, oh, you made the right decision. The other baffling part about this is in the article, there's two counselors quoted, Tony Katarina and Michael Walters. And Katarina says, you know, he's going to move to scratch the entire closure and we're going to keep the pool open. Um, And you said, you know, that the city's analysis doesn't quantify the social benefit 
that the pool brings. And you said program changes actually increased attendance from what the city says, which sure. is interesting. Yeah. Um, again, it would be really nice if we had the report to look at. Sure. Um, and then Michael Walters came out with a big bat and he said that the way the city officials tossed out the suggestion to close the pool was a big mistake. He said it wastes a lot of people's time. They may be talking about the 180 people speaking of council, which, by the way, on just like the inconvenience of all of this, I had a meeting to talk to Don Iveson that I was cleared to record for you on the podcast about public transit and why he hates it. Um, again, I'd open with that and he'd get frustrated and it would make for very good radio. It had to be moved because that was where the overflow city council meeting was so that the rest of the 180 speakers could talk. So thanks for participating in democracy, guys. Good for you. Michael Walters was, of course, one of the co-chairs of the Council Initiative on Public Engagement. So he's been involved in this work for quite a long time. And um, it's interesting for him to come out and say, basically, that the way they tossed this out was a big mistake. It's like, are they not talking? Are administration and council not having a conversation? Like, why is this in the media? Yeah, I would say the way Michael Walters tosses out that comment in a journal article is a big mistake. Because, and we've seen this all over, we saw it. Let's harken back to a long, long time ago where there was a plaque on a bench and it was administration got lambasted in an article and then councils on break and then councillors were quoted in articles. And then finally, Iveson met with some city managers. Why didn't this happen earlier? There's really only two options here. One, administration and council aren't talking at all, in which case, do your jobs, guys. Just pretty please. The other option is that they are talking and council is abusing its power position and knowing that administration can't punch back. So council is using them as a punchy bag to score political points while not having to make the hard comments and leaving those to administration. In which case, council, do your job. I, I don't know, but I am not happy with this litigating through the media. Council debates are supposed to be had at council and information and work supposed to be discussed and you know assigned throughout the city it shouldn't be happening through the edmonton journal in columns no less right and we we do as i mentioned have a policy on public engagement a policy on being an open city on making our default open and transparent it's it's crazy that the information that we need to make a good decision is being withheld until after the decision has been made um if i can maybe offer something a little hopeful on this topic uh I recently learned the person in charge of the program and service review is an uh, individual at the city of Edmonton called Mike Chong. Thanks for listening, Mike, uh, to our podcast. And he's now on this guiding coalition for public engagement. So this group of people that is supposed to hold the city's feet to the fire to say, we've got this policy, we need to implement this in an effective way. And we need to make sure that we walk the talk, so to speak. Um, he's now a member of that group. So I think that's a good thing because maybe that'll start connecting some dots internally that haven't been connected otherwise. Um, and we'll start to see some change there. And we need some of the folks who are leading things like the program and service review, I think, to be thinking about public engagement. It's interesting that you mention a listener and his comments, because you mentioned earlier that uh, there were some listeners that you talked to that said, I was too hard on administration. And I thought back to what I said so far in this episode. And to those listeners, I say, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we've got time for this week, um, but I do like food. For the astute listener, that's a Carla Frost quote from the 2017 mayoral election. 
It's landing. I'm landing. Frost is coming slowly. Frost, frost, sweet. Frost, frost, sweet. So we're going to read an ad. This ad is for the Alberta Podcast Network, which gives us the food such that we can eat and produce the podcast. And the Alberta Podcast Network, it supports Alberta-made podcasts like us. Uh, This week, we're going to highlight I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in Edmonton. Uh, Their latest episode hosts Fonda and Paul. They discussed the demise of View Weekly, which they called the city's last bastion of dedicated print arts media. And View is going to be sorely missed. Mac, again, he mentioned that the media doesn't report on the media, but Mac reports on the media. I do. We publish a media roundup every Monday with Taproot Edmonton. View Weekly was one of the things we talked about this week, of course. And they talked about it on I Don't Get It. So you can check it out at idontgetityeg.com. And that's all for this week. Uh, Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.